I have been a uh, pastor now for, graduated college in 1990, so 22 years, 22 years I've been a pastor. Uh, for most of that time, there was a brief time when I wasn't act actively serving. But if you've never been a pastor, which probably most of you haven't, maybe some of you have, it is a very interesting career when people find out what you do for a living, okay? And you get some real interesting situations and, and, and looks. And so sometimes I don't even really like to tell people what I do, not because I'm embarrassed, but because sometimes of how they treat you differently once they find out what you do. And so I've been in situations where people say things, consume things, different things like that. Then later on they find out you're a pastor and then you can see their mind rewinding and they're going through all their conversations and they're trying to filter through what they said that could be offensive. Sometimes they even apologize for what they had said earlier. When, you know, all in all, you're just, I, I just want people to be, to be who they are. Um, people, when, when you're a pastor, people, always expect you to pray before the meals, like it's, it's your job, you know, like I don't know if I do it better or maybe I've got a faster connection to God or whatever, but you are like the chosen one or any holiday events because you're the pastor, so you're supposed to, to speak. People sometimes justify their actions towards you. There, there are times when I've been like on a Sunday afternoon Pam will, will say, uh, pick up something at Kroger. And so on my way home after church, I go to Kroger and you see somebody from your church that wasn't there and they immediately go in the defense mode and explain why they weren't there. Like they, like they owe me an explanation or something, you know, but just because of my position, they feel like they need to do that. And then sometimes people look at you differently. They act differently towards you. I have a, a friend of mine who uh, went to a guy's door and just knocked on his door. It was a guy that had come to their church just a little bit, and the guy happened to be smoking a cigarette when he answered the door, and he was trying to hide it and actually put the lit cigarette in his pocket because he didn't want the pastor to kind of see that he was smoking, which didn't really wor work out very well for him. But, uh, Pastors are just human people. I mean, we're just normal people just like you. And, and though God has given us a calling and we have a responsibility and a job to do, you know, I'm just, I'm just a normal person. Matt's just a normal person. But if I want to be honest with you and I have to come clean and I want to confess something to you. And I tell you all that because it seems a little weird that I, I, would, I would say this because I'm a pastor. Because sometimes I think things and I think, I can't think that because I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to feel that way because I'm a pastor. And so today we're going to talk about kind of one of those topics and then look at a passage as how it relates. But what I want us to think about or what I want to admit to you is even though I'm a pastor, there are Christians that really get on my nerves, okay? And like I think I'm not supposed to say that because I'm a pastor. You can't have Christians that really get on your nerves. But if I'm totally honest with you, there are lots of Christians that just like grate on my nerves. And, and let me share with you some of the reasons why that is. And uh, here's why. Sometimes as Christians, people can be very judgmental. Christians can be ju judgmental. And that always just kind of grates on me the wrong way when, when Christians are judgmental. Because no one ever accused Jesus of being judgmental, except people who were really religious and judgmental. Those were the only people who did. The rest of the world, the average people, the sinners, all the people out there just doing their own thing, they really liked Jesus and they felt like he wasn't really judgmental. He like accepted him and loved him and he had truth, but he wasn't condemning. 
But sometimes Christians can be very judgmental of other people. And I hate it when the message of Christ that the world sees from us is, is people that are judgmental. That that's what they see. When they think of, of, of the church, when they think of the people that represent Christ, they think of people who are judgmental. One of the first things that does pop into my mind, and you've seen that, is the church in Kansas that has done the protests of the fallen soldiers, and they go there, and they, they, they protest and hold up the signs. And when you see that, and when I read about Jesus in the New Testament, I'm like, I don't understand. Those two things just like don't even seem to add up to me. And they're, and they're so far away. And it, it, it just it grates on my nerves that as Christians, we can be so judgmental at times. Another reason that Christians get on my nerves is sometimes we can act holier than thou. That somehow we're some better, that we know some secret thing, or we've got the secret handshake, or because we've done something, then all of a sudden we're, we're better than everyone else. And too often the world looks at Christians or looks at the church and they see a group of people who think that they're better than other people. And that's not the message that Jesus sent. He, he never walked around and preached that if you were with him, you were better than anyone else. And so those types of attitudes, they just kind of grate at me and I don't think that they honor God. Another reason is uh, Christians often fight and argue over silly things. Anybody ever been a part of a church where people argued and fought over silly things? Okay, yeah, too many hands just went up. But yeah, I think we've all been there, right? And uh, people get mad, people leave the church, people threaten to do things, people do all kinds of things over little silly issues of opinions of what color the carpet should be, how the grass should be mowed. Um, just it, the, the list is endless. But it always gets on my nerves when the church that's supposed to be there professing that who Christ is and loving one another and showing unity and people know us because of all of our divisions and all of the things that we do when we argue and fight over silly things. So I gotta be honest, that kind of gets on my nerves. Another reason is that sometimes as Christians we're hypocritical. You know, a hypocrite is someone whose actions don't match up with their profession. And, and when you see that, and when the world sees that, the world quickly... Um, turns away, doesn't believe, walks away from who Jesus is be because of the actions of Christians that don't match up with the words. But if I have to be honest with you, the most thing that, I, I, that gets on my nerves more than any of those things that I've mentioned before is the fact that I, as a pastor, am all of those things that I just mentioned. That as much as I, I can get mad at people being judgmental and hypocritical and uh, thinking they're holier than now, and, and I want to point the finger, and as much as that gets on my nerves, it pains me to see those very same things in my own life and in my own heart and know that I am also capable and guilty of all of those things myself. So Jesus came along and had a passage uh, in chapter Luke, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 41. And this is what he, he says, and you've probably heard this before. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Okay, there are a couple observations there. Finding specks are fun. 
Finding specks in other people are, are fun, but dealing with the logs in your own eye, not so fun. Okay, that's just not so fun. Specks are easy to see. You, you, can, you can pick out someone else's speck. You can see it like from here to Ellettsville. You can see the speck in their eye. Logs are a little more difficult to find, aren't they? Locating specks become natural. It's very easy for us. It's like a sport for some people. But removing logs is grinding. It's difficult. Because when it has to do with ourselves, there's just something about it that is a little bit different than noticing or seeing it in someone else. And if I'm truly honest with myself, I can see myself in all of the Christians that irritate me and get on my nerves. There's a part of me that's there because I can be judgmental, I can be holier than thou, I can be opinionated and want to argue over petty issues, and I can be hypocritical. And all those things are true of me. So Jesus comes and says, you know, there's this idea of, you know, our, our eyes are just really sensitive. And so you know what that's like to get something in your eye and it just, it just really, really hurts. But Jesus' point is, you, you know, there's something much bigger that you have to deal with than noticing the little bitty speck in your neighbor's eye or your friend's eye. When I was in youth ministry, one of my favorite things to do was to take kids snow skiing. I mean, nothing is crazier than taking high school kids snow skiing in Indiana. You know, uh, most of them haven't ever been before. They go there. And uh, I remember this one particular uh, time, there was a kid in our youth group named Wesley, and he was kind of a klutz. And uh, if any of you are snow skiers, you know, there's one of the rules is you don't take your skis into the ski lodge, right? So you know that. And, and if you've never been skiing and you've never taken your skis in the snow lodge, you probably don't know why that is an important rule. But if you've ever seen anyone take their skis into the ski lodge, you kind of see what happens and what ensues. Well, Wesley didn't read the sign when we went skiing. And so he took his skis into the ski lodge, which means you're walking through a group of people and you put the skis on your shoulder. And so they're sticking out about four feet this way, sticking out about four feet that way. And so Wesley's walking through everyone. And we're like, Wesley, don't, you're not supposed to have the skis and he's turning around going what what where's my group you know and he's like taking people out people are just falling down the skis are just spinning around smacking people everywhere and, and that's kind of the picture that I get in this passage of with the plank in someone's eye you know that you're noticing the speck in other people's eye and you've got this like gigantic two by four huge unicorn thing coming out of your eye and you're like knocking people over just so that you can get to them and notice a little bit of speck that they have. I think that's the analogy that Jesus is talking about because we look at it and go, that's pretty ludicrous. How hypocritical. But that's the point that he's making here. So I want you to turn to the book of Philippians if you have a Bible with you or if you're techie and have it on your phone or your iPad. We're going to look at a passage in the book of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And Philippians is a book written by the Apostle Paul to some Christians living in a city that was called Philippi. And in this passage, what we're going to see is Paul is going to address areas where you and I probably need to improve. Now, some of you have probably seen this whole phenomenon of planking, right? You know what that is? Planking? Okay. 
And so some of you haven't, so you don't know what that is. But planking is when people like make their body stiff and then they like get on a, well, I'm not going to do it on the communion table, but you could <laughs> do it on the communion table or something. Or I guess if you're really good, you could take two chairs and like make your body stiff and do on the two chairs. And I've seen people, I've seen this on YouTube where people go on the escalator where one's going up and one's going down. And if they get in the right spot and plank, that it actually like makes them spin in a circle because the escalators are moving in opposite directions. That's advanced planking, okay? If it, uh, so, but we're going to, I'm going to invent a word this morning and we're going to, the word's going to be the de-plank, okay? So it's not like the planking, but I don't think de-planking is a word, but for the next 30 minutes, we're going to make it a word because w- what I mean is like the, the act of pulling the plank out of your eye. So we're going to call it de-planking. So if you can de-plane, get off of a plane, then I think you can de-plank, which would mean pulling the plank out of your eye. If not, just go with me, okay? (laughs) We're just going to do that. But what what we're going to look at in this passage in Philippians is five different areas in that verse, or five different times, where we are challenged by Paul to de-plank different parts of our lives, to not look so critical at other people's specs, but to worry about the plank in our own eye and remove it. All right, you with me? All right. The first thing that God wants to do, though, is he wants to de-plank our ambitions. And if you look at Philippians 2, chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 3, the first thing he says there, Paul writes, don't be selfish, don't try to impress As I thought about that verse, I was kind of reminded that, you know, the economy of our country is kind of built upon selfishness and impressing others, isn't it, in in a lot of ways. Because the things that we see out there to buy, the things that we see in the commercials, the things that are in front of us in advertisers are a lot about being selfish and wanting to impress other people. Has anyone ever here been embarrassed about um, your parents' car? Anyone ever have that experience? Yeah, uh, okay. And then you have parents that have been, uh, had kids that are embarrassed about their car, right? And so that whole thing, that whole phenomenon, why does that happen? Like, why are you, like, it's if you think of, okay, the purpose of a vehicle is to get you from one place to the other. And if you need to go to school and someone is providing that, I mean, in theory, it's like that totally makes sense that as long as you're getting from A to B, that that should be sufficient of taking care of your needs, right? But we all know it doesn't work that way, right? It's much more complicated than that. It's much more about the arrival. It's much more about who sees you getting out of the car. It's much more about the type of car. I mean, this is just in seventh grade, right? It's all, it's all uh, about those things. And we, we see that, and it's easy to spot. But, you know, as adults, there's that, still that part of me that thinks, you know, I, I still see selfishness. I still see that desire to want to impress other people. And it's more complicated as adults, and we hide it and mask it in a lot of other different ways, but it's still there. The opposite of that idea that of being selfish and trying to impress others is, is giving of yourself and serving other people. And, and God's saying to me, you know what, you need to take the speck out of your eye, not be so judgmental, and, and remove Remove that so that you can serve and that you can love others and not try to impress. Now, um, Chitty's usually here on Sunday mornings, and I got a call from him yesterday. And uh, 
he went with Pat, right? It's Pat that's in Broad County. Yeah, they, they uh, a group of teenagers, those guys are leading a group of teenagers that went down to Henryville today to go down and help with tornado cleanup. And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, okay, what would be the opposite of being selfish and not, and only serving yourself? And I thought, that's a pretty cool thing to do, you know, to go down and take a morning and be down there and, and giving. That's just one example. But I know in my life, I want to be the kind of person that is not selfish, that gives towards other people. And so my ambitions, I want to be more in line with Christ and I want to deplank that for my life. God also wants to deplank my acceptance of others, how I accept other people. If you look at the second part of verse three, Paul says, be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. And I think he says that because humility is not a a natural quality that most of us have, is it? It's, it's a very difficult thing to grasp. So instead of spending my time and energy being selfish and prideful, God wants me to look inside and deal sometimes with my own, my own junk. Because we live in a world where it's about self-promotion. Our culture doesn't really honor thinking of others above yourselves. I mean, can you think everything that you see on TV or you read, I mean, it's all about self-promotion. It's all about you getting your name out there, making yourself look good, either in the workplace or at school or in class. It's really about being humble and thinking of others before yourselves. God also wants me to deplank my actions. Look at verse four. Don't look only at your own interests, but take but take an interest in others too. Now I have to say, um, my wife Pam, who was, there she is, I'm sorry, I was looking there, is wonderful at doing this. I mean, there are times when I'm amazed at her ability to look at other people's interests and not only look at the interests of herself. But she's a beautiful example to me of doing that. I had some friends a couple of years ago that went um, down and helped in Louisiana with the Katrina relief. One of the interesting things they said, and one of the beautiful things was a friend of mine who spent almost a month down there said, if the churches and the Christians would not have responded to Katrina, he said, it, it would have been much, much worse than it was. He said, there were thousands of people in churches and organizations. And, and he um, remembered seeing that um, the Southern Baptist had done some things and they had semis that were equipped with relief and they were down there and they were giving away clothes and food and everything. But he, he just talked about the fact that a lot of that you didn't see and you didn't hear about on television, but God's people responded in a, in a huge way. And when I look at that and I hear that and I see that, I think, you know, God, that's what I want to do. I, I want to remove that big plank from my eye and be able to, to live in a way where I serve others and put their needs above myself. God wants me to spend more time worrying about the actions, my actions in serving others and being less critical of other people. All right, God also wants me to deplank my attitude. Verse five, you must, be the, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Because attitude is huge. I mean, we know that. But God cares about not only what you do, but why you do it and the motive and the heart behind it. If you're a parent, I mean, you understand attitude too because with your kids, you try to, to get them to see that it's not so much about like obeying, it's 
how you obey. It's not so much about cleaning your room, it's choosing to obey and clean your room with a, a good attitude. It helps us understand that. Um, this, this past summer, um, I, I transferred over the mowing the grass to my son, Keaton. Well, I guess maybe two summers now. So he officially became the family um, mowing person. And uh, he did a wonderful job this year of, like, I would come home and then the grass would already be mowed and I hadn't told him to do it. And like, if you're a parent, you're just like, oh my word, that is like phenomenal, isn't it? That is like unbelievable. Because as a parent, you understand that that, that's, that has a lot to do with attitude. That has a lot to do with attitude because God wants to see us be in a relationship with him, love and care for him, and have the attitude that Christ had where it's not that God gives us a bunch of rules and we have to follow them and he beats us over the head and we feel guilty and we do it grudgingly. But, but, to, but to have a relationship with God that's totally just wide open and following God and obeying God because you want to and because you have that kind of relationship. To me, that's like deep planking, removing that plank and, and not looking so much at other people, but knowing that I have that kind of relationship with God. Also, in Galatians chapter 5, or Paul writes about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all living that out. God also wants me to de-plank my authenticity. One of the things I love about Exodus is I believe that we're a church that tries to be authentic in the way that uh, we live out our faith. We're not perfect. We have a long way to go. But, but when my wife and I came here for the first time, that was one thing that stuck out as a group of people who were trying to do that and, and, and were making strides in being authentic. In chapter 6 of Philippians 2, we read, this is talking about Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born of a human being. And when he, appeared, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Because I think authenticity is a, is a deal breaker, make it or break it. I mean, one way. If we're not authentic, if we're not real, the world or other people sniff that out, don't they? It's like, I don't know how we have that ability to do that, but we can sniff out in off, people that are not authentic, can't we? So our goal is to be genuine, to be real, to be down to earth, and that my interactions and that my treatment of other people and my communication would have that quality of authenticity to it, to not worry about others, but to notice in myself that God wants to remove some of these things from me and to realize that all those things that are in other people that irritate me and grate at my nerves, that when I'm honest with myself, there are a lot of those things deep within my own heart. So I want to leave you with four questions, okay? Four questions that I, I want to challenge you with. The first is, how are you guilty of noticing other people's specs? How are you guilty of doing that? I mean, it's easy to do, but in what ways do, do you find yourself being critical or judging other people or looking? Another thing that I find out is many times we see something and we come to an assumption or a conclusion that isn't fair and isn't even really accurate and we only have like 10% of the information but we make up 90% of the rest of the story because that's just the kind of thing that we do. It's a lot easier and it's a lot more fun. So how are you guilty of noticing other people's specs? Ask yourself that question. Second question, 
What planks of your, of your own are you ignoring? So, so what planks do you have in there? I mean, if it's, you know, you're walking through the ski lodge with the skis on your shoulder, who are you knocking down? Who are you taking out because of those things that are in your life? Question number three, are you willing to ask God to be less critical of others' specs? Are you really, truly sincere about saying, God, um, help me to not be so critical. I mean, help me to be able to see pers- a person and not see all these flaws about them, but to really look at them and see them as God sees them, to see people through God's eyes, which are so different sometimes than the eyes that we see people through or that I see people through. Because I look at a person sometimes and you can immediately think, well, they should be more like this and less like that. And, and you can kind of come up with this, all these different faults. So are you willing to ask God to help you be less critical of other specs? And then the fourth and final question, are you willing to ask God to help you address the planks in your own life? Because sometimes de-planking, removing that plank, is not about us just like holding on and grabbing on and trying hard enough. It's more about surrendering and, and asking someone to do it for you. Because you can't do it yourself. Because you can try, and you can try, and you can maybe make a little bit of room, but it's always going to be there unless you really surrender and say, God, I need you to fix this issue in my life. I need you to help change my heart. Because the change of heart is really what we're talking about here. And changing our heart is not something that we can necessarily do on our own. It's more of allowing God to do it through releasing that control. So I want to ask you to stand up, and I want to have a word of prayer. And then we'll move into a time of communion this morning. God, I just want to say, um, I stand up here as a pastor and I realize that as judgmental and critical and hypocritical as I am, um, Father, I want to be a, a person that's more like your son, Jesus. I want to pull those big planks out of my eye. I want to quit looking for the specks in other people's eyes. And I want to live an authentic relationship with you. I want my heart to change. I want to be different. And Father, I want to be part of a church that are, that's full of people that, that are looking to do that same thing. Father, our world just desperately needs to see people who reflect who Jesus is, warts and all, in a real authentic way. And so, Father, may we, may we acknowledge our faults, may we acknowledge our mistakes, and may we strive to allow you to work in our lives so that... Um, we have an authentic and, and real faith in who Christ is and a, and a trust in you. Father, I thank you for each person here, and I pray that you'd take this passage and you would apply it to their own life in a way that they need to hear it and, and that you would convict and that you would, you would change and you would mold us into the people that you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to move into communion.